Good morning or good afternoon for some of our our saints in other parts of the world. It's just such a great blessing to be with you this morning or today on this second episode of our fall seasons broadcast. My name is Monica Terrell and I'm here in the studio with Apostle Ron Crawford and Stacy McGill. And we're just really excited to be with you today to continue on in our discussion that we began last Friday on the rest of God. And that's such a funny expression because it almost say, sounds like we're saying, you know, the rest of him. <laughs> and now, the rest, <laughs> the of, rest God. of God. But we are talking about the breath of God. We are talking about the Nuach, the Ruach, and the Manuka of God, which is his breath, his spirit, and, and that actively abiding breath of his spirit that rests upon us, that rests upon this earth, that rests upon certain places around the earth. And um, it's just such an incredible, incredible study. So we began last week really focusing in on the Nuach and what that means. And to repeat myself, I'm going to say that that Nuach is that actively abiding breath of God. And it, it translates in scripture most often as rest, which is so interesting because we recognize that, that as the first issuance of rest in scripture is solely about God, we recognize that God never sleeps or slumbers. He does not get tired. He's not weary from the work. It speaks of his, his breath of his spirit as it moves and functions throughout the earth to restore according to his intended purpose. And so we're going to continue in this discussion um, on this topic. We're going we're to continue in um, conversation about the Nuach for a few minutes, and then we'll segue into a, not a deeper but a more expanded um, conversation about the Manuka. So do you all have anything to to add about the Nuwa before we jump in? Well, I am joining with my colleagues here and saying what a privilege it is to be able to uh, talk about this. I, I do think that this is a timely subject because uh, for many reasons, I believe that um, what God's been sharing with us recently has been about us being readied for breakthrough, us being uh, in, a, in a place where God is supplying us, which is really the essence of faith. But we're standing in the gap and looking toward God bringing forth um, his breakthrough. And rest in God, rest in his spirit, divinely um, prescribed rest is really the essence of our walk of faith because we hear, we take a stand, we, we wait on God and the elements of rest that we're speaking about are endemic to that process. So the rest of God is not uh, a lack of action 
it's the action of the spirit um, within us in fellowshipping with God in enjoying him in anticipation of where we're going we, we it, it, by God's directive we talked about the Sabbath which is from so many angles from faith and Sarah and Abraham so many other angles but the Sabbath the, God rested on the seventh day the, the seventh day of the seven spirits. It's, it's, it's not inactivity. It's reflection. It's commune. And it's enjoying him for the purpose of looking forward into the new with him. Because grace is always what God is doing. You know, it's this throne of grace. He's always moving forward. Grace and truth came through Jesus, which means... There's something that God has ordained that has not been seen yet, and he's wanting to guide us into that through his grace. But <clears throat> it's not works. Rest is the lifeblood of all of that. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not inactivity. It's any more than the seasons on earth where you have the, um, the winter which seems like it's dormancy, but it's the beginning point. It seems like nothing's happening, but there's a whole lot that's happening that may not be seen by the natural eye that makes possible the, the, the sowing, the, the harvest, uh, the, the sowing, the growing, and the harvest. Um, so this nuach is is a a rest of the spirit um, and, and again it's different from the Ruach because the Ruach is God's visitation God's breath and they're not the same even though the Nuach incorporates God's breath the, the Nuach is a partnership with God the Ruach is a visitation of God yeah, you and I pulled these straight from the the Breath of God book, which is a wonderful study on on rest. But you gave definitions of the Ruah is the spirit, the breath, the person of God. The Nuah is the actively abiding breath of God, which is what you just said. And then the the manu the the manuka or the Manawak, it's however <laughs> yeah, you want to say it. Apples and oranges. Is is that is that place of his abiding presence, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, which is an established place. Right, which um, he calls us to establish. Yeah, at at the point of his timing, at the point of his direction. But you have to go in that way. God doesn't just do a Manawak. He, he just doesn't do it. He saves that for us to receive his spirit, to welcome his spirit, to make ourselves willing to partner with his spirit. And then we become a representative of that. And that is a nuach type of encounter. First fruits are involved there, which is wonderful because that's how the church was born on mm -hmm. that feast. But, um, but the rest of the Lord is not laziness it's not inactivity it's not 
giving up, kicking back. It is an active, it is an active participation in the reflection with God and willingness and preparation to go forward with Him. And, you know, there's passages of Scripture that speak about how that God continued to offer this to His people, but they would not enter into that rest. They would not embrace it. And even today, you know, you have people in amongst the church who would say, well, you're, you're talking works, you know, you're, you're making it about you. No, we're not. God made it about us. And you know what? Just personal testimony. I mean, this is really where this became so alive in me over this last season because that, that is really what he was driving home in me that it is not about the works. It's about everything that we do Everything that we are and everything that we do should come from this place of his rest, from this place of his breath. And it's really easy to get into the works of it and do the task, which we must do because we're called to do that, but we can never separate the works from what we're talking about today. Because eventually you'll just exhaust yourself out. I mean, his breath is ever ready to empower us to do anything he has called us to do, ordained us to do, and we can run the race through that, through that effortlessly if we'll just learn to rest in it and to come forth from that place. And, you know, it, it, it's been a revolutionary, 20 years into this, or 20, almost 25 years into this, this has been a revolutionary revelation for me personally and um it it's just it's i'm so thankful that his word is so alive i was just remembering we talked about his yoke is light and i looked up matthew 11 uh, 29 take my yoke upon you and learn of me for i am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls and then the next scripture is my yoke is easy and my burden is light and i just feel like this that so links with this. Yes, I feel like when we obey His will and we put our agenda down, because our agenda is the works, it's the heavy laden, it's the one that's going to wear us out. Or when we're distracted by the enemy, he wears us out doing all these other things that we hear whispers that we're supposed to do, and it's, you know, going in the wrong direction. So that was just something that really jumped out. That's very powerful. And I can tell you, I mean... We can do this with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. I mean, every measure of my intentions over the last 20 years have been to please my father mm-hmm. and to to do his bidding and to do it well. And 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 he has been so faithful to empower us with his breath and to teach us along the way, line upon line. But there's just something... I don't want to say there's something more, but there's just something deeper. There's just a deeper dimension of it that he wants us to dwell in. I think for what lies ahead, and we're going to talk next week about the days of Noah. And I think that that's a big part of it, is that we truly become these these Nuwak individuals that are um, functioning out of that place, that established place of the Manuka and um, yeah, so 
it's, well, it's interesting like when you know I spoke a minute ago about Hebrews 4 where it speaks about um, there remains that some must enter and it's speaking about that rest God did rest the seventh day and in this place if they shall enter in my rest some must enter but to whom it was first preached did not enter in because of unbelief and this is apathy that's the word Oh. There's there's not a willingness to there's not a hunger to do it, so they don't associate rest this rest with a hunger because they're satisfied, and there, it takes a real how do you say it a desire to hunger for God when you don't in the physical need something. Mm-hmm. You know, if people are in need, man, they're hungry. People don't know how they're going to pay their bills or if they have a, a, an attack of illness or some one of their kids is in trouble. Man, they're hungry, man. They're calling people to pray and they're praying. When everything's great, when they've been blessed, it's hard. I remember meeting with uh, Dr. Criswell from First Baptist when I first became pastor and he was so gracious to meet with me. Um, and uh, he was talking to me, giving me, you know, just general words of counsel, which I really treasure. And I said, um, I said, what would you counsel me to do? And he said several things. He said, but the most important thing is get your people to pray. He said, in all the years I've been here at First Baptist of Dallas, I've never been able to get my people to pray. He said, I can bring in politicians to speak. I can bring in musicians. Our choir can sing. We can put on productions, and the place will be packed. If I have a prayer meeting, I could throw a stone and probably not hit somebody. I thought, and he wasn't, he was really, uh, I thought this is a really odd thing for this giant in, the, in faith. In, ch- in church to be saying to me it's like a mea culpa and you know I'm not faulting First Baptist I'm not faulting any Christian what I'm saying is that um, we need to develop this the process of the Lord where we look past our own physical surrounding and we enter into the rest of God we enter into that seeking after God in without without having any specific thing that our flesh is crying out for, you know. Yeah. And and so we, we they didn't enter in to whom it was first preached because of apathy, and again that means a lack of hunger or a lack of pursuit of something so that would indicate that there's something you're pursuing in the rest of the Lord there's something that you're hungry for in the rest of the Lord so that in itself proves what you just spoke of as a as a definition the rest of the Lord is not God kicking back doing nothing it's it's like the exciting planning and preparations um, 
um, schematic of God where he is excited about what he's going to do and he's looking for people who will listen to him talk about that. Something that's not been done. Something that's not been discovered. Something that he wants to fulfill. I'll do my strange work and my strange act. And you've got to be hungry for that. Now, that hunger doesn't mean you just dream up stuff. The hunger, you know, you're going to talk about the first issuance of the Nuach. Um, that that was that was a, after a lot of work and it was it was so weird what god asked noah to do but you did all that you didn't really even know what was coming next but the, the rest of god has to involve hunger and pursuit of him and so um yeah, we, we were talking earlier about just the acts and the ways of God and how Moses longed for the ways of God. He longed to know God, whereas the children of Israel, they were after his acts. And you think about them wandering in the wilderness. God had such a, an, an amazing purpose for them to go over and establish and take dominion of the and, and step into the promise that he had. And I mean, you think about it. I mean, act after act after act, from manna to water coming out of a rock to the seas parting to all those different acts, and yet they still would not come to that place of that resting place mm-hmm. to establish that resting place of the manuka, which is what his intent was for them. And then he, he I'm getting ahead of myself, but really coupled with that verse in Hebrews is Psalms 95 where it says, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Mm-hmm. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, this in many ways is the general church. And... I mean, I hate to say that God is looking for a people that that have a heart like David to establish not only the tabernacle of David, but to establish that dwelling place. And we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but... Well, um, it, it all flows together. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, just to help segue, if you want to go to Numbers. Yeah. Uh, Pastor was talking about you have to be hungry, and it just kept making me think of Numbers 11 because the people wanted flesh. <laughs> And then that got them in trouble. Because <laughs> the Lord wanted to meet with them. Uh-huh. He did. But then it just got them in trouble, their lusts. Yeah, so we're going to really jump into our study. And, and I do apologize that there is not an outline there for you. But I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to throw this out there. But the end of this, se- of this se- series, we will provide an overall outline for you it's just this is a working outline for us and we're changing it constantly so it's kind of fruitless for us to put it up now because it would continuously be changing so we do encourage you to get out your bibles and maybe to get a pen in your journal or whatever and take notes um because we're going to jump into the word and but we'll read all of the scriptures some of them are extended so just bear with us so it's fresh are we good it's fresh fresh meat fresh meat (laughs) So we're going we're gonna to begin, we're going to continue in our conversation about the Nuach, 
and we're going to talk a little bit about the function of the new law amongst God's people. And we're going to begin by talking about prophecy. And we're going to start with um, in the book of Numbers. And if somebody would like to read Numbers 11, verses 24 through 30. Luke, could you please read that? Thanks, Luke. <laughs> could you please read that in French? Yes, I Stacy, could you please read that in Portuguese? <laughs> <laughs> and Pastor, you can read it in French. You have such a good accent. Yes, I would do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I can read it in English. <laughs> So Numbers 11, 24 through 30. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto them and took of the spirit Ruah that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit Ruah rested Nuah upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the spirit Ruah rested, Nuah, upon them, and they were of them that were written, but went not out into the tabernacle. And they prophesied in the camp, and there ran a young man and told Moses, and said, Elad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto them, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit, Ruah, upon them. And Moses get, gat him into the camp, and he and the elders of Israel. Hmm. Oh, that's good. So here in this, I guess the the remaining days of this year of the prophet which you know i mean we transition from year to year but we are called as a prophetic people and i love i've always loved this um, these passages of scripture because it does encourage everyone to really press in press their ear up to the heart of god and to hear what he's saying and to really move in that spirit of prophecy but we recognize here just through this extended passage but that that comes through the Ruah nuawing upon his people. <laughs> it is his breath, his spirit that rests upon us to prophesy. We cannot do it outside of that. It is, it is, um, it is just really, I think, going forward so imperative that we recognize this and that we really press in and ask the Lord for his Ruah to rest nuah upon us so that we can be people that hear what the spirit is saying to the church and be that prophetic voice that's going forth throughout all the earth and i think that there's going to be a whole lot more demands on that going forth i think this year of prophecy has really been one of of establishing really in an even a, a, a greater dimension for us is is prophetic ones and we just have to trust the lord we have to we just have to trust that breath, that spirit that's within us to speak forth that. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because um, in our pre, um, pre-broadcast meeting, uh, th- this passage was brought up and, um, you know, you have 
Eldad, Medad, they're plays off the same word. The first one means to boil after some, to, to be passionate, to, to boil literally. It's used to describe the boiling of, a, of water in a pot after the love of God. And, and then Medad was somebody that could take that love and that passion and develop it and handle it and try to, to make sense of it. And that really does speak about what we are supposed to do in interpretation almost. That's so good. Mm-hmm. You know, you're seeking after God and his presence and he's visiting you. But the visitation is not the end. The visitation provides the way for you to learn of him. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about it in the New Testament regarding uh, the, the friend and phreneo, where if you're not really communing in the spirit, you're not going to have the affections that God wants you to have, and you're not going to gain the insight and the understanding God wants you to have. That is New Testament 101, and it's throughout it's throughout uh, that new covenant relationship. And here you have, how do you process between the Ruach into a Nuach, and then how do you manifest properly in that atmosphere? Because, again, one of the things we talked about is that, you know, there was for a long time, the church didn't want to have anything to do with the Ruach. And they didn't even know what it was. And they just wanted to come, sing their songs, and then go to eat. But then there were people that wanted the manifestation of the Spirit. They wanted the visitation of the Spirit. That really would be classified as a ruach kind of a thing. But then they didn't want to do anything. They didn't want any responsibility for it. I mean, we were told, that's work. You know, I don't want want to work. Mm -hmm. I don't want to develop it. Uh, but God, God doesn't. He's not looking for dates. He's looking for partners. Yeah. And and you know, I don't know. I mean, we're we're all established people here. But um, I remember being in high school. You know, you you had people that ran around, went on dates, and did a bunch of things. But there was no real commitment. Even if they said there was a commitment, there really wasn't a commitment. God is looking for commitment, but he needs that passion. And so once the commitment comes, then a lot of times people forget about their passion. You know, they, they, they don't work at it anymore. And um, so we understand that in the natural, but here in the spiritual, you've got a visitation of God. You say, I want to partner with you, Father. I don't, I don't want to just kick around in the river. I want to I want to begin to develop this river. I want to develop this port of the Lord. And then God blesses you. But you've got to go after him and you've got to learn of him. And then you've got to do something with what he gives you. That That's rest. That, and that's, that's really rest. the principle that we have learned and grown through is just the principle of agape, which is just pressing in and and into his heart and coming forth with his directive and doing it, you know, breathing hard after his purpose. Yeah. I mean, that links with almost, I mean, that links with so many things that, of who we are and what how we function. Yeah, and it goes like with what the Apostle Paul said about faith 
and works. Yeah. People mm-hmm. say, show me your faith by your works. Faith without works is dead. You, you've got to have both. Yeah. You've got to have that commune with God, but then he's going to entrust you with something to do on the basis of that partnership. Yeah. So you, you've got to have both, which is what this is, which is really what Ruach and Nuach is. I found another scripture, if I can read it really sure. quick. Proverbs 14, 33, Wisdom resteth, and that's Nuach, in the heart of him that has understanding. And I just want to claim that. What is the understanding word? The understanding word is Ben. Ben. Uh-huh. Ben. Well, that's a that's a good <laughs> McGill word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we just studied about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you taught. You were at the seminar. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So we welcome your, your so wisdom. So what is what is just a thumbnail? What is Ben? Ben is is that son? It's that it's that measure of being. A, uh, a person who learns of God and demonstrates who he is, which is really what sonship is. And really, yeah, walking in that understanding, that yeah. understanding just through relationship. Right. And yeah. you're representing what God wants. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. So that's good, through that's understanding. Good. So there yeah. you have. And the agape. And the agape. It all works. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine. And then we also we have another example of prophecy, which is um, speaks of Elijah and Elisha, and that's Second Kings two thirteen through fifteen. I can read that if somebody wants to follow up with some commentary. It says he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is Yahweh Elohim of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. I love that. And Elisha went over, and when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doeth rest, or nuah, upon Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Yeah, that's great. I mean... You know, m- most people really associate that mantle that fell upon him that activated. And I'm sure that was part of it because that spoke of identity for him as a prophet of God. But it really was the new awe that made the difference. It was the new awe that, that rested upon him. Um, because without that abiding presence of that new awe spirit, our mantles, our rods, any vestiges that we have... They're powerless without his breath. Mm-hmm. And we need to remember that. That's why God continuously calls us to lay those things down before him. Because they can come, they can become a little bit of an idol for us if we're not careful. Yeah, and you know, the, the, even, the, even the object of Elijah and Elisha and these sons of the prophets is a depiction of this principle we've been talking about. Because arguably Elijah was supposed to be working with Elisha. Mm -hmm. And when Elijah said, and they did for a number of years, things were set in motion, but Elijah said, enough, you know, I want to get out of here. And so what Elisha asked for was a double portion of, of his spirit. And we've talked about that double portion doesn't mean 
that you're twice as good. It meant that whatever your spirit was supposed to be doing in conjunction with the spirit God's given me, now I'm going to have to represent both of those roles. So that mm-hmm. was the double portion of the spirit. So the mantle came, you know, and Elisha, Elisha had to, he tore up his own clothes. Mm-hmm. He rent them in two, into pieces, and he took that mantle. Why was that? Because you have to have that flow pattern. You have to have that governing influence that Elijah said, somebody has to fill that role. So Elisha could not just come in his own mantle because that would have been eliminating that upper mature role. So he comes to these sons of the prophets and they they uh, they say what they said, the spirit of Elijah knew ox on Elisha. That was the only reason they were going to follow him because mm-hmm. they, were al- they had already been contesting with Elisha. Wow. They'd already been saying, hey, don't you know your master's going to be caught up? And he said, I know, you, you hold your peace. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, that's so interesting, funny. too, because if you backtrack to the passages that we read about Moses in the camp, and we talked about this in our, our earlier discussion, that authority structure is mm-hmm. so important when we're talking about prophecy. It's so important. So were those people, because it literally, you know, it says that God, um, God directed Moses to impart that new law into them in the camp so that they could prophesy. So we know that Moses was after his ways. Moses was a, you know, he was God's friend. He wanted to know God. Show me your glory. I want to know more of you. And I think that I love that because you, you have to have that at the headship. Yeah. It, and you have to submit to, to that. Yeah. But that, that flow pattern you just enunciated is is this what we're talking about right. the rest of God. Right. And and when those guys were saying to him, Don't you know your master's gonna be taken away? And when he said, Hold your peace, he said Hasa, Hasha, which is where we get hush from. He was telling them to be quiet. <laughs> he was telling them you be quiet. Hasha. Don't say anything. Um, and somebody's got to be able to do that. And those sons of the prophets have to submit to it. Because you see how many areas here could have been crossways with the authority structure of God? Elijah said, good, he's out of here. I've been waiting for this. God promised me that I would be as Joshua. I'm just waiting for Moses to be gone. I've got to bust off on my own. Well, forget it. You're done. You've, you've disconnected from the power cord of the Lord. Yeah. And so the double portion of the spirit meant that he was going to have to do double duty, but God can do that. It was, wasn't what God wanted. And he wanted them both to be there, but the spirit of Elijah was still there. And um, it's good. Yeah, think about this too, and we weren't going to go here, but we might as well. Um, i got to find my passage, but... The story which we referenced on Sunday about the, the, the Jehovah Nisi, about the banner of the Lord. You had Joshua, you mentioned him, who just, that was his first reference in Scripture is when mm-hmm. Moses called Joshua and said, I'm going to go to the top of the hill in the midst of this battle, and I'm going to raise my hands, and you're going to go out, and you're going to fight the battle, and you're going to overtake the Amalekites while I've got my hands lifted. And then 
So Moses' relationship with God, total dependence on God, that was the battle strategy. Yeah. But when he rested his hands, then, you know, he, when he like almost like released that full dependence on the Lord at that time, then the enemy overtook them. But when his hands were raised, Joshua just kicked butt and took names. Yeah. And so it's that same yeah. authority structure pattern. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing that girded Moses up was Aaron and her, which really beyond their names meant you have a, a, an, a, an acknowledgement of the priest, which is welcoming the mediation of God in his ways, and then you have her who represented the people, mm-hmm. the pure the pure commitment of the people. Those two have to keep that raised and in the church it's the same yeah so it's the same that's a that's an exciting it's an exciting dimension and you know throughout that story you know when elijah comes down he meets elijah elijah had it going on and he was slick he was wealthy he was well dressed and elijah says doesn't matter to me whether you follow me or not i'm going on you got to be hungry to do that you could have been offended by that the rich young ruler was told by jesus to do that very thing and he wouldn't have any part of it the rich young ruler wouldn't he went away sad but elisha said i want this yeah and i'm willing to make that my hunger i'm content in what i have and during a time of drought those people were the daddy warbucks his dad his dad what they had they lacked nothing he gave that up to go after what God wanted. And so this is interesting. It's 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 interesting. So uh, anyway, I I just have a question. So when the Lord rests upon us, you know, are we listening to go forward and staying in our authority structure? Which is as we read all these and talk about all these, I'm applying them into my own life. So I'm hoping everybody is. Well, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is that when the anointing of the Lord comes, it touches our purpose, but it also touches our iniquities, which are twisted purpose. Mm. And, um, you know, I remember being in Brownsville at a pastor's gathering, and Kilpatrick talked about the dangers of the anointing. Because people suddenly feel things things are activated that they've never that they've never felt before and maybe they go after lust maybe they go after some point where they felt that they were unfulfilled but maybe pride comes which is what the enemy had you know the enemy didn't you know I'm not the enemy I wasn't there but but he he pride entered into him iniquity entered into him um, because he didn't, he really didn't lack for anything else. So, and and that's the thing. When the anointing comes on somebody, or when a visitation comes on somebody, you have the wide spate of options. Are you going to let God refine you? Are you going to be humble? Are you going to let Him make you contract? Or are you going to suddenly think, man, I'm. Moses, you take too much on yourself. We we hear from God just like you do. 
you can see what God thought of that. Mm-hmm. So how do we handle the visitation of the Ruach? And even then, how do we handle that next step where we are a Nuach individual? I didn't look this up to see if there were any demonstrations of Nuach that, where the people went screwy. Um, maybe uh, there's got to be some I don't you know but in every point you've got to you've got to submit yourself to the presence of God being humble before him and a submission to what your purpose from God is not your not your dream but God's dream and you've got to be willing to submit all the way through because the servant of all is the greatest of all. Seems I read that somewhere. And, you know, if you humble yourself, God exalts you. It's not if you humble yourself, everybody will see how neat and cool you are and they'll exalt you. God is the one. A person's gift, personified, brings them before kings. Well, I just I was just reminded of this passage that's here in Isaiah 66, where he says, verses 1 and 2, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye shall build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those that hath mine hand, mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a measure of being poor, which means you're really hungry. Every, you know, you want, you want him more than anything. You're poor in spirit, and then you're of a contrite spirit. And so that's what God's looking for. And that speaks of us as being the place of his, the dwelling places of his rest, which is that manuka, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I love that passage because, you know, he dwells in the temple. He dwells in the house. But we are his house. And he wants to dwell in us. And so, but it does require that poor and contrite spirit. That's what he's looking for. Yeah. So. When Moses let down Nuach, mm-hmm. his hand, Amalek prevailed. And you might want to say, if, Am, if you're dealing with Amalek, which attacks the weak places of your life, which God hates, um, if you let the Nuach down, you're going to lose to it. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting take on that. Um, <laughs> that it, it's, it's just so nice to look at the scripture. Isn't I know. It? It's, <laughs> it's, it's just really so alive. I just... I marvel. So I don't know where where you were wanting to go next. Well, I thought we would... um, We can either speak of the spirit of Yahweh that rested upon Jesus and go into that, or we can talk about tongues. Well, here here we are. Um, We've got 15 minutes left. Um, So let's... um, Let's dwell just a little bit more on this Nuach. Okay. And then let's sum it up and speak prophetic words of ministry into the people that are listening. Um, We talked pre-gathering about 
the first issuance of, uh, of Nuach and the first then issue of Manuha. And the first issuance of Nuach in the scripture is when the ark rested on Ararat. Um, and now why would, we were talking about this earlier, why was that the first issuance? When you had, before that time, you had the Garden of Eden where the Ruach of God was. You had subsequently then a guy like uh, Enoch who walked with Elohim and was no more. Why did God wait until the the uh, the the principalities that created that race of of wicked Nephilim, uh, those ones that actually participated in that were in chains, and the earth was destroyed by water? Why did God wait till there to demonstrate? The, the the first issuance of Nuach, and why was that first issuance uh, on the uh, on a, an animate object of the ark? <laughs> why does it say the ark rested? Now we clarified that Noah, who was God's partner in that, was was a, somewhat of a derivative of Nuach, or or one that created or welcomed the Nuach, a, a purveyor of Nuach. Um, but the first real issuance of Nuach was that ark. And we're in the days of Noah. For To me, I mean, those times before Noah were really wild times in the spirit realm. They just were. Uh, we don't. We can't even begin to imagine how bizarre that time must have been, because you had the enemy fresh off of his defeat of Adam, with whatever empowerment he gained in the curse, moving around, dealing with people who were, to some degree, covenant people, but. The, the fragrance of Eden was still wafting through the air, that failed measure of what Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve had was there. And to us, the issue of Nuach, which is a divine issue, which is commensurate with that seventh day, was something that you had to be willing to earn in the timing of the Lord. Earn is a bad term. I just, I just think that there probably wasn't the proper scenario where the enemy would not have been able to, to move in and really take advantage of a divine principle. It's even like right now. Why isn't why hasn't God released the things that He's promised, the prophesied things? Why is the enemy running seemingly roughshod over the earth? And the bizarre things we have we see happening with darkness and the wickedness that's being promulgated and 
you know, the setting the stage for the end times, the, the precursor to the mark of the beast and the control of the one world system. Why is God allowing that? Why? Because God is ultimately never going to be called unfair. He always allows everything to be said and done so that no one can say, you just forced this through. You just did this. So he allowed all that nonsense to happen. And then people who had committed and had prepared, uh, if, if the ark was anything, it was a, a demonstration of being ridiculed by the world for listening to the Lord and preparing something that God said. The ark was preparation. It wasn't a weapon. The ark was preparation. God filled that ark. Only God could fill the ark. It was preparation and filling and partnership, but it was work by Noah. But think about this, too. I mean, you've got these three elements. You've got the dove, which represents sons, Mm-hmm. The establishment, he released the dove. Yeah. The dove comes back with the olive branch, which represents Christ. You know, what we're supposed to be is those that are pressed and, and uh, the anointing comes through. And then you've got, he stayed the ark for seven days, which is the chul, which is restoration. Yeah. So that right there speaks of who we are in him and what we're called to and his anointing upon us to go forth and do it. Yeah. Perfect. Never saw that before. And, you know, one of the things... The All old, in the new walk. The old song that I bet they sung amongst the, the Baptists. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall the end of time be. We talk about that. And when we, when we hear that in the church, what do we think? Well, bless God, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. We're going to be caught away. The same waters that destroyed the earth is going to catch us away. Rapture time. We think about that. But what really were the days of Noah in the heart of God? It was finding a people who would be a Nuach welcomer. It was being a people who would, as we're going to talk about next week, necham with God, to commune with him. It was being a people who would obey God and prepare and wait upon God. And it was people who were going to welcome the Nuach and welcome the Manucha. That's the days of Noah. And that's where we are. And the question then is, with this outpouring, we're so thankful to see um, the way that God is really raising up people who want his spirit. Not a lot of them, but there is a lot of them. That sounds like a, a contradiction, but it's really true. How do you take a people from a Ruach pursuit into a Nuach pursuit? Um, you know, David and the tabernacle of David. How do you get people on that pathway of establishing a place where you welcome God's Spirit to then establishing His Spirit? That's the key to the days of Noah. Yeah, there's demonic involvement in an unprecedented way. Yeah, there's wickedness. Yeah, there's darkness. Yeah, there's all kinds of perversion. Yeah, there is that that horror of um, of just 
evil on the earth. But that's really just this, the backdrop. The days of Noah is this that we're talking about. Well, I went back in Genesis 6, and it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it said, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. And I looked up just, and it just a simple, strong definition is righteous. So he was a righteous man, probably had righteous vision, right? Mm-hmm. And perfect in his generations, and perfect was um, integrity without spot, without blemish. Um, and Noah walked with God, you know, which is kind yeah. of what we're talking about, that abiding. So he was already yeah. positioned, and that's probably why he was chosen that's, and not somebody good. before. I don't know. Finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mm-hmm. All the, how many of those terms have we been privileged to enjoy mm-hmm. and study over the years? And I think we're just being brought into that place where we're in the days of Noah. So you said, how do we bring the people, or how do you... How how does this happen? How do you go from knowing the Ruach to becoming a Nuach individual to then going and establishing the Manuka place, is which is God has called us to do as we go forth throughout the earth, but also that happens within us. We talked about that in Isaiah 66. But I, I, I think about this Psalm 132, which I would love to just teach on this whole Psalm, but it's, it's, it's you know, David had that heart to build the temple, to establish that permanent dwelling place for the Lord from which then tabernacles, you know, would be established Mm -hmm. from that place as we're sent forth. But this whole Psalm 132 speaks of his heart towards the Lord, just his absolute vow to say, I will do this because God made me to do this. But he talks about um, he's vowed it to the Lord. Um, I will I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor will go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I found, find out a place for Yahweh, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And, um, and then he says, Arise, O Yahweh, into thy manuka, the ark of thy strength with his oaths, and let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let the saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away from the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. And out of the fruit of thy body will I set upon my throne. And then God goes on to tell about his commitment to dwell there because of the heart of David that was so intent to establish the resting place of God, which is the Manuka. And I think that's our heart. I think that I, I feel the same way. I have this desperation to say, there's a lot of works that we have to do. There's a lot. I mean, we have a huge mission, but our sole responsibility and our sole vision should be cultivating this dwelling place of God, because that is one. I mean, that is what that is what is going to draw people to Him, His presence, His breath, His Spirit. And if we don't have that in our houses, then why will they come? And why will we stay? So to me, it's, it's, I, I love this. I have such just 
just this deep, deep passion to, to, to sustain this, I guess I should say, or to, to partner with the Lord and continuing to welcome and host his presence, not only here in this sanctuary, in my own temple, in, in all of us, mm-hmm. but in the places that he's established amongst the saints throughout the world. And so I encourage everyone to take that Psalm 32, 132, it's 132, and make that vow before the Lord to say, Lord, we will establish your resting place upon this earth. We will. And so. Yeah, and that that links up with the place where God has empowered you to carry your cross, to establish that cross as purchase token that Jesus bought at at Calvary. Um, it's being on your face and welcoming the kingdom um, to cherish the Lord where you are as he comes, listen to what he's saying, and then be willing to do what he says and don't divert from that mission. Don't divert from that because the rest of God, it's the most important thing is him. That's right. Yeah. And but and, I mean that's what Isaiah experienced when he went into the temple and and the and the train filled the temple. Yeah. I mean And then what does God ask? Who, God who says, shall I send? Yes. Send me. Here am I. Yeah. Send me. Mm-hmm. God didn't say, Here I am, Isaiah. We're just here. Get the shofar. Get the liar. Just soak for a let's little bit. Let's just soak for a while. And let's just welcome other people to come and get a soaking. Even though that, we do that. is good. Yes. But God's intent was, who am I going to send? Mm-hmm. Who will go for me? And I can hear the people now. Oh, that's works. I don't want to do that. No, it's partnership. It is. It's being hungry in the midst of his presence, his undeniable presence, with the angelic, with the coal from the altar. Mm-hmm. Which also brings me to Psalm 23, where the Lord, it says he, he leads us beside the still waters, and that still is the manuka breath, his spirit. And we, we, we talked about that with the sheep, with the shepherd, that there's one time of the day, the ultimate time of the day, where the water is still, and the shepherd, his whole intent is to get to that place of water for his sheep during that time of day when the water is so still, because otherwise the, she- the sheep will not drink the water. But that speaks of thirsting after him, which is relationship and fellowship with him. And, and so he leads us to that place of fellowship and relationship with him, at the place of still waters, and then what does it say? He leads us into paths of righteousness because streams always speak of, you know, um, well, the, the water is, is, is um, sustaining us through our relationship with him, but then it sends us forth. Water's moving. You know, those streams are moving. It's about travel. It's about, it's about going forth in his paths of righteousness according to his righteous vision. So... I love that too. There's so much good, mm-hmm. so much good in this, <laughs> because it's all Him. This is we're talking about the person of God, the breath of God, and the resting place of His Spirit. And oh, geez, so good. I can hear the passion in your can voice. You? Yes, I love it. Oh, wow, it's inspiring. I can hear the passion in <laughs> you. 
Um, He's just so good. Yeah. Yes. So maybe some of you saints um, have been waiting on God faithfully, and maybe you aren't in. You aren't blessed to be part of a of a gathering of saints weekly. Maybe you're alone before the Lord. Maybe it's just you and your spouse. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a small congregation or a prayer gathering. Maybe you're listening today and you you have labored for the Lord and now it seems as if you've been brought to a culminative point where things that you've done seem to have ended and now you've got the prospect of the new day. Every one of those things is addressed by what we've been talking about. The enemy would try to swoop in and convince you that the circumstances that you're feeling are some indication of God abandoning you, or maybe you being ineffective, or maybe you having missed it. But those are lies from the enemy. God is with you. The things you're feeling right now, if you will assert them and insert them into this biblical study that we've been offering today you'll base your commune with God on his word and you will open yourself to hear from him and that's a key because if your heart doesn't condemn you then you have confidence with God that's what the scripture says and too often we let the steering wheel of our life condemn us the enemy will come and say look you've steered yourself into a corner here yeah you've had great things but now what's happening? Look at the world. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, what have you really accomplished? The enemy will say that. Don't let your heart condemn you. And, you know, the Lord said, if you, if you believe, have faith in God, you can say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and do not doubt in your heart. See, if you're following this pattern, you're where God wants you to be as a saint. So trust that, regardless of what it looks like. Moses looked like an idiot, but yet God was with him. Mm. Noah, too. Mm -hmm. Yes. And grace was established. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And um, as Paul said, we're fools. For Christ. For Christ's sake. <laughs> we're fools for Christ's sake. <laughs> anyway, what a... What a good way to conclude. We've gone a little over time. We won't charge you extra. Um, thank you for joining us today. We pray that this has been a, a blessing for you. I want to specifically commend and thank Monica and Stacy. And uh, we uh, were really privileged to be able to walk with you, his saints, through this pathway of faith. So until this weekend, till next week, may God bless you and goodbye. Amen.